Hello and welcome to the Prospect Sermons podcast, the preaching ministry of Prospect Baptist Church. This podcast is dedicated to the faithful exposition of the scripture and the edification of the local church. This is Parker Smith, Senior Pastor of Prospect Baptist, located in Fayetteville, Tennessee. Our prayer is that the sermon you are about to hear will help you grow in your understanding of God's Word, point you toward the person of Jesus Christ, and encourage you to live for the glory of God. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Prospect Sermons podcast. Amen. I hope you're all doing well again this morning. Again, word of welcome to our guests. Thank you so much, Scott and Kim, and for our choir as well. And uh, if you have your Bibles, I would love for you to turn them on or turn them to uh, the book of Galatians uh, chapter number four. We're going to be looking at verses uh, 21 uh, through 31. And I just want to say just a, a quick word. It was a year ago today that Ashley and I first came and stepped foot on this uh, beautiful campus called Prospect Baptist Church, meeting with your search team. Uh, that was kind of impromptu, but we did. And uh, so we had a great time and just looking back how incredible it is and how quickly uh, the Lord has uh, brought things about. It's, it's crazy to think that it's been uh, 365 days now, but, but it has. And uh, I'll celebrate a one-year anniversary sometime in mid-October. And um, so anyway, I, as I'm thinking upon that, I'm so glad and thankful to see Mr. Roy and Judy Jones here with us this morning. I'm grateful that they're here with us. And Absolutely. Amen. And uh, Roy, I knew that was your seat. And the reason that I knew that is because when I um, went back home and looked online, I I looked up some of your services and saw some of your online things. And I saw Roy sitting in the seat exactly where he is there, uh, giving an announcement about uh, the pastor search team. And uh, so I'm grateful that you are here this morning. Thank you so much. It is an honor to see you this morning. And so um, I don't know if we have uh, that. If you, I think Johnny, if you maybe unplug and plug that back in, it might be able to connected or whatnot. I might just kind of cheer, trigger it. And uh, But anyway, uh, we won't need the screens. We'll be okay without them. That's not a problem. Uh, but Galatians chapter four, uh, the apostle Paul is continuing to build his case against the, the false teachers, the Judaizers that are teaching a, a false gospel to the churches in Galatia. They're preaching something um, different than the gospel of grace. And he moves beyond this personal appeal that we looked at last week. And he looks and focuses on a rhetorical question with an allegorical argument, with a very pointed application. Um, I'll say that again. He begins with a rhetorical question, with an allegorical argument, with a pointed application. I'm always amazed at the Apostle Paul's use of the Old Testament. And here, he quotes or references at least three times from the Old Testament. And what's interesting about this text is that it is a, it really is just kind of a bear to, to, to tackle down and figure out how to preach, not so much because of the truth that is there, but really because of the, the, the way in which the Apostle Paul builds his argument. He has, you see in this text, you see two sons, you see two mothers, you see two paths, you see two covenants, you see two Jerusalems, two destinies, and I was tempted to give you two sermons, but I'm going to try to fit this all in in one. Um, The only way that I know how to splice this text open this morning is the way in which the Apostle Paul intends us to do so. He he assumes so much of his readers at this point, and by nature of doing that, he's assuming much of us as well. He's assuming that we know the story of Abraham and Isaac and of Ishmael. He's assuming um, that we understand that story and he even goes further and he says, he's implying and says, if you read and understand that story merely through the lens of according to the flesh, you're going to miss the point. And he gives us another way, if you will, 
but really a fuller way to understand it. Namely, that is in light of the New Testament. Paul says it allegorically, and I'll explain that in just a moment. And so in understanding the scripture this way, Paul then points his readers to a specific application. And what I'm gonna do this morning, I typically like to weave application in the sermon. I'm gonna save all application to the end, and I'm gonna apply various applications from this text. But with that in mind, would you stand out of honor and reverence of the reading of God's word as we look and read in together Galatians chapter four, verses 21 through 31. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But Jerusalem from above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, rejoice, O barren one, who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, who, is, who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate will be more than those, than the one who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit the son with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but are of the free woman. This is the word of the Lord. If you believe it, say amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and you would give us ears to hear, that Jesus would go before us in this text and he would make a way for he is the way, the truth, and the life and that no one comes to the Father except through him. Father, as we look at this text, we will see very weighty things this morning. We will see things that may cause us discomfort. We may even see things that cause us to wrestle, but I pray that we would move beyond wrestling and that we would rest in the revealed word of God and the truth of your word. Father, I pray that you would help us and give us hearts to receive your word. May the spirit open our eyes to hear your word, to receive it, to believe it in faith and to apply it in our lives this morning. Father, we love you, but help us to love you all the more. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. As you're seated, I wanna call your attention to a few things. The first thing I want you to see is the historical setting. I'm gonna move from the historical setting to the figurative meaning to the personal application. The historical setting, looking at verses 21 through 23. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman, but the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. The apostle Paul says, you who are content living under the law, the law that brought about slavery, you're so content, but are you capable of doing what the law says? Do you really understand the law? Do you not know that Abraham had two sons? Those who quickly would jump to conclusions and say that we have Abraham as our father. Paul would say, okay, okay, okay. 
but which son are you? The false teachers would have been corrupting the churches, gaining more traction and support. Paul is perplexed. He's concerned. He's pleading with these Galatian churches, don't buy it. You're going back into a yoke of slavery all over again. Do you realize what you are doing? Listen to the law. Listen to the word of God. And Paul begins to broaden his scope of the law to the Old Testament scriptures, specifically the first five books of the Old Testament, namely the Pentateuch, saying, do you hear what the law says? It is written, Abraham had two sons. In reality, Abraham had eight sons. Six of them were by Keturah, as referenced in Genesis 25, whom he married after Sarah's death. But Paul mentions two, and he zeroes in to this point of the story that's found in the Old Testament, specifically in Genesis chapter 16 and 17. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 16, you see this story. The story of Ishmael and Isaac, of Hera, Sarah, and Hagar. God told Abraham his children would be as numerous as the stars and through his descendants, the nations would be blessed. God made a covenant with him. There was only one problem. He doesn't have any children at this point. And he's old and his wife is barren. How in the world is that gonna work? And so Abraham and Sarah have a plan, but it is according to the flesh. Look at Genesis chapter 16, verses one through four. Now Sarai, before her name was changed to Sarah, Sarai, Abraham's wife, had bore him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, behold now, the Lord has permit, prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, and it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. Paul is drawing stink contrast here and he intends for us to bring a couple of points to notion by understanding this story from Genesis chapter 16 and Genesis chapter 17. Contained even within our text that one woman was Abraham's rightful wife and that Hagar was Sarah's maidservant. She was an Egyptian slave. Hagar was a slave. Sarah was free. One child was born, Ishmael was born to a slave woman, the other by the free woman. Verse 23, that is Isaac. One, as you know from Genesis, Sarah, her womb was shut. She was barren. And the other, you see in this text in verse 23, was conceived by human effort. Namely, that Sarah looked to Abraham and thinks maybe Hagar is how we will have children and the Lord is to bless us. That is Ishmael, who was conceived literally according to the flesh. It is thus said the word of Sarah, but not thus says the Lord. It was according to Sarah's will. It was according to Abraham's will. It was according to Hagar's will. 
but it wasn't according to the will of the Lord. But the other, 14 years later, God comes and says, this time next year, I will come and Sarah will conceive and give birth a son, the child of promise, the historical setting. Secondly, the figurative meaning, verses 24 through 27. This is honestly a very difficult and controversial section of the entire book of Galatians. I think Galatians 3 was a little more tricky to navigate, but Galatians 4 is nonetheless a little tricky as well. When the apostle Paul says, now this may be interpreted allegorically, to which you might say, and I don't read my Bible that way. I read it literally, to which I would say, Amen. We should read it literally, but we should also read it in its totality. And Paul intends here that if you only look at this story through the lens of natural eyes, if you only read it through the lens of Genesis 16 and 17 and read it through a fleshly perspective, Paul says you're gonna miss the greater point. You're gonna miss the unfolding economy and story that more is taking place in this story in Genesis 16 and 17 than we realize through Sarah and Hagar. More than likely, what is best to be understood when Paul says interpreted allegorically, it's what we would call biblical theology or the use of typology, namely seeing the unfolding story of God through Old Testament and New Testament. F.F. Bruce explains it in this way, he explains typology as a narrative of Old Testament history interpreted in light of New Testament realities. I'll say that again. A narrative from Old Testament history interpreted in terms of New Testament realities. I.e., we read and interpret the Old Testament now through the lens of the New Testament. And more explicitly, through the lens of Christ. And Paul says... These two women, as the scripture unfolds, are seen to be representing something. And that something is not a mystery. Paul tells us exactly what he means. He says there are two covenants. One at Sinai, that is given to Moses, that is the law. She is Hagar, bearing children to slavery and in bondage. And all who seek salvation through her or according to the law or according to the flesh will never find salvation, only find bondage. Sarah is the new Jerusalem, the Jerusalem from above. She is free. And those who she births, they are birthed to freedom. This is John's point in John 1:17. for through the law, was given through Moses, grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. There are two covenants. There are in this text two Jerusalems. Verse 25, now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds with the present Jerusalem for she is in slavery with her children, but Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. 
The word therefore, she corresponds, is a word that Paul uses here. It literally means to parallel with, to line up with, or to stand in rank with. Get this picture. It is to be in road like soldiers in formation, ready for battle. In other words, Jerusalem, though they were recipients of God's great mercy, of his great promises, of his great covenant, of his great worship, of his great glory, Jerusalem had a posture that they would be fixed and they would be like road soldiers ready for battle to say, we do not want that, we reject that. And they rejected the Lord in that way. This is why Jesus says in Matthew 27, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stone those who are sent to it. How I would have often gathered you, your children together as hens gather her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. So your house has left you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until I say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is Paul's argument in Romans chapter nine. He says, I wish that I myself were cursed and cut off for my kinsmen according to the flesh. To them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises. To them belong the patriarchs. But they've rejected Christ. They've done an about face. They've aligned themselves as soldiers to say, we are rejecting you. This is present day Israel. But the Jerusalem that is above, literally born from above, is free. They're gracious recipients of God's promise. They're not born according to this world. They are born according to above. She is our mother, verse 26. And then Paul builds towards a great reversal in verse 27, from which he quotes from Isaiah 54, one. This is his second reference to the Old Testament and now a direct quote from the Old Testament. He originally quoted from Genesis 16, now he's quoting from Isaiah 54. In which Israel is likened to a barren widow sitting outside of the city gates of Jerusalem. And she's weeping and she's mourning. She's in sackcloth and ashes because her husband has been carried away into captivity. And no one is there to care for her in her old age. And the word of the Lord comes to Isaiah and Paul picks up on it. In Isaiah 54, one, it says, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth, cry aloud, you who do not labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more, literally in a surpassing manner, more than those who has a husband. Isaiah comes to Israel and he says, rejoice, be happy. Paul says, be happy, rejoice, shout with joy. Sarah, shout with joy. Because you have not felt the pains of childbirth for the woman who has been deserted will have more children than the one whose husband never left. And though Sarah's womb was barren and though Abraham was old, Sarah would conceive and she would give birth to a son. And through him would be the seed, the child of promise and through which would be the Messiah to continue through Sarah, not Hagar. 
And in the coming of Christ, you see the seed of the woman, the true offspring of Abraham. And in this way, Sarah is the mother of all the children of promise. For it is through her child the promise continues. All of those born not from human descent, such as Ishmael, but are born from above. And the blessing of the nations given to Abraham that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars is finally and ultimately fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. So now through Christ, both Jew and Gentile, people from all language, tribes and tongues, in a surpassing manner, all the more, she has given birth to children who are free. That's Paul's point in bringing this out. And the Gentiles should rejoice. Sarah is rejoicing. The Gentiles should rejoice. The Galatians should exalt with great joy because they are included in the fulfillment of that promise. They are the children of God. They are connected by faith in Christ alone to the true seed who is Jesus Christ. The historical setting, the figurative meaning and where we'll spend the bulk of our time this morning, the personal application. Verses 28 through 31. Now, brothers, like Isaac, are children of the promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so it is also now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of slave, of the slave, but of the free woman. Paul says, do you hear the word of God speaking, church? It is written, it is written, it is written. Verse 21, verse 27, verse 30. It is written. For what does the scripture say? The word of God, church, the word of God is the only basis of our truth. Do you hear the law, Galatians? Do you hear the word of the Lord, Galatians? You're the children of promise, verse 28. You're free, brothers. Don't conform back to the law. And with that statement, Paul effectually wraps up his theological and historical argument and moves toward application and transitioning out of chapter four and verses in chapter five and six, he will be entirely practical to his churches in Galatia. Practicing Christ alone for salvation, the spirit at work within you. And he's just made his final theological appeal. And he's transitioning now to application. And so we will do that as well. And I will close this morning with a series of profound and weighty application stemming from that one question that Paul asked. Do you hear the law? Do you hear what the word of God is saying? Number one, application number one, the flesh and the spirit are against one another. Contrasting the slave and the free from verse 21, do you hear the law? To 29, namely Abraham had two sons. One slave and one free. One born into slavery and remains in slavery and the other one free. And they are opposed to one another. And they always have been. He says in verse 29, but at that time when he who was born according to the flesh, 
at that time persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, but also now. The Greek word that is used there is the Greek word dioko. It means to, to put into rapid motion. It means to pursue. It means to follow. Contextually, it means to suffer. More pointedly, it means to organize a system of oppression or harassment against someone. And Paul says that this persecution is twofold. It happened in the past and it's happening now. From the moment that Ishmael was born, there were problems in Abraham's family. Sarah's contempt and jealousy of Hagar and Ishmael, Genesis 14, 6, and he went into Hagar and she conceived and she saw that she conceived and she, Sarah, looked with contempt on her mistress. Flip over to Genesis chapter 21. The relationship between Sarah and Hagar changed drastically as well. When Isaac was born, when he was being weaned as a child, Ishmael mocked Isaac, laughing at him. Note the text in Genesis 21, verses eight and nine. And when the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on that day, Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. Saw Ishmael laughing. And she said to Abraham, don't miss this. This is where Paul quotes from in verse 30, by the way. Cast out the slave woman with her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit the heir, shall not be the heir with my son Isaac. She looks at him, this advanced teenage boy who's likely 17-year-old looking at her four-year-old little son, this adult by every standard of the flesh, mocking her little boy who was according to the promise. Does he think he's gonna get part of Abraham's inheritance? May it never be. Abraham, cast him out. And even now, the children of the flesh, think about it, the children of the flesh mock those of the spirit. The world mocks the church. How silly, how foolish can you be? The carnal man will never get along with the spiritual man. The spiritual man will be opposed to the things of the carnal person. This is what you see in the agitators in chapter four, the false brothers in chapter two, living according to the flesh, causing separation and discord within the body. They are living according to the flesh and it's dividing the church who is a spiritual people. Paul planted these churches in Galatia and he knew that persecution was on the horizon. Even in 2 Timothy, when he writes to Timothy, he says, you have heard, you followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. Persecutions that I endured 
Yet the Lord was will the Lord rescue me. Indeed, he continues in 2 Timothy 3:12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so Jesus says to his disciples in the Sermon of the Mount, blessed are you when others revile against you and persecute you and other all types of evil things against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. So they persecuted the prophets, so they will persecute you. John 15, 20, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Christian, you will be afflicted by those who are living according to the flesh. Don't be surprised because the flesh and the spirit are opposed to one another. Paul goes on record in Galatians chapter five and he says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other. And thus there is a vast separation for those who are walking according to the spirit and those who are walking according to the flesh. And there is a great responsibility of the local church to recognize those who are content living in the flesh among you and mark a distinction from them than say they are not truly of us and they do not share in our inheritance. Secondly, I want you to see God's gracious call to eternal life. Seeing this in verse 21 and 22. I'm gonna contrast here between what theologians may call common grace and what I would call for this sermon the grace of the promise. He says, do you hear the law? Do you hear the word of the Lord? Abraham had two sons, one slave and one free. And get this, Abraham loved them both, but God only chose one to receive the promise. And the other was cast out. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Paul makes this point and has been making this point clear throughout the entire book of Galatians. He said, it is God who calls you Galatians 1.6. It is God who saves you, Galatians 4.6. It is God who set me apart before I was born, Galatians 1.15. It is God who graciously called Abraham, Galatians 3.19. Among all the people of the earth, God has set his affection on a particular people. God gave himself for them, loved them in a particular way that is not the way in which he loved the rest of the world. Christ loved me, Paul would say. He loved me, Galatians 2.20, and he gave himself for me. Paul has been making this crystal clear within this text. Abraham had two sons. Both were his. Only one is given the promise. One born into slavery remains in slavery. The other receives the promise. Turn again to Galatians or Genesis 21. Let's see it in context. What's going on here? 
And then after that, we'll jump to Romans 9 just so you can be prepared. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, who she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So there's Ishmael laughing at Isaac. She says in verse 10, she, Sarah, says to Abraham, cast out the slave woman with her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not be the heir with my son Isaac. It's what Paul quotes in Galatians 4.30. And watch Abraham. And this thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. Abraham's saying, that's my boy too. That's my son. What are you talking about, Sarah? Cast him out. He's my son. I love my son. Verse 12, but God, God says to Abraham, do not be displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. God affirms what Sarah has just said. He affirmed it. I will make him a nation of the son of the slave woman because he is your offspring. I love him, but I love Isaac in a different way. God in great mystery affirms the rejection and casting out of Ishmael and declares that he is not the one through whom the offspring is to be named. He is not the child of promise. He has no share in the coming inheritance. But isn't Ishmael loved? And he is. And he's loved because he's Abraham's child. And he would experience great common grace. And God comes to him and comforts him and makes him a nation because he is Abraham's offspring, Genesis 21, 13. He is loved but he's not loved as the child of the promise. So it is for all those who are called to eternal life. In total, God-effectual, pursuing, electing love and grace, you have been called to eternal life. And God says, I love you in a way that is radically different the way in which he loves the rest of the world. Turn to Romans chapter nine to see this. Romans chapter nine, what Paul is doing in Romans nine is he is borrowing this story of Isaac and he's gonna take it down the road just a little bit further of two other sons that were born, namely Jacob and Esau. And he's gonna connect it with God's free choice and purpose of election. Romans 9, six through 16. We're gonna walk through this. I'll make a few comments and then we'll come out of it. And I think you'll see what I've been trying to communicate thus far. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Not all are the children of Abraham because they are his offspring. 
I'm thinking of you, Ishmael. I think it's in Paul's mind there. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of promise who are counted offspring. For this is what the promise says. He continues in the story of Isaac and Sarah. About this time next year, I will return and Sarah shall have a son. And he connects it, does he not, in verse 10, to Jacob and Esau? And not only so, but also. In other words, continuing in that same thought, Isaac was chosen, children of the promise, not the children of the flesh, so also. When Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing good or bad, they were twins. In order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told, the older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. God gave a promise. The child of promise, those who were not the child of promise, was cast out. He continues even further. One is loved, the other one's hated. One is chosen, one is not. In verse 14, what shall we say to these things? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion. It is not according to the flesh, those who are the children of promise. It depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. And oh, how we love to make it about our will, our works, our ways. It's about me. But God says that's not how you were saved. Salvation is not about your glory. It's about God's glory. And you're not saved by your effort, nor are you the causal agent that brings it about. Jonathan Edwards said it this way. He said, the only thing that you brought to your salvation was the sin that made it necessary. So we have said many a time, salvation from beginning to end is of the Lord. You are saved by God's gracious mercy, by God's gracious love by God's gracious calling you to eternal life, by God's gracious promise. And some will say, as Paul even anticipates in Romans 9, that's not fair. Is there injustice on God's part? Paul expected someone to say that. That's not fair, Paul. Is that fair? Is there injustice? Paul says, no, there's not. 
And he can say that because, beloved, God owes you nothing. You want fairness? You want justice? You want God to give you what you deserve? I don't think you do, beloved. How about condemnation? How about judgment? How about hell? How about his wrath? Justice is that no one is chosen. Justice is that no one is saved. Justice is that we all perish. Justice is that all revilers be condemned. Justice is that all sinners be judged. The one the world would continue to perish, justice would be leaving them in their deadness and allowing them to be condemned. And so John says in John three nineteen, whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe is condemned already. They're already condemned. God didn't have to do anything to condemn them. They're already condemned because they have not believed in the only son of God. And this is the judgment. Note it. This is the judgment, John 3, 19, 318, 319. He has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Pursuing sin, living for the world, finding satisfaction in all the things of the world, and in great mystery, God leaves many there. Content living in their rebellion, hardened by their deceitfulness of sin, living in darkness, in bondage, in slavery to sin and death, remaining forever children of wrath. But you, he says, but you in Christ, you have been adopted, Galatians 3, 4. Galatians 4, 28. Now you brothers, you are like Isaac, you are children of promise. And you're no longer slaves to sin. You are now God's child. You've been redeemed. And it wasn't because you wised up. It wasn't because you got smart. And it wasn't because you were more deserving than the next. It was because of God's grace. Ephesians chapter two, turn there and we'll come out of here quickly. Note the contrast in verse one and in verse five between deadness and being made alive. Paul continuing to build this argument and you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked following the course of the world, the, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience among whom we all once walked, living in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. You were dead, and now by total grace, you're alive. And your faith, your obedience, your response, your decision, your repentance is not the work of a dead man. It's the work of a born again man. It's the work of a man who has been quickened. So he says, by grace, you have been saved.
and raised up with him, seated with us, with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming age, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved. Boy, Paul does not want you to miss that, does he? And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not the results of works, so that no one may boast. God says, you were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. You were loved, adopted, graciously called by your heavenly father. You are loved in this way, Christian, brought from eternal life. For God does so love the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God loves the world this way. He loves them so much that he would give his son indiscriminately incredible love without distinction, without limits, type of love to anyone who believes. But that is not the way in which you are loved, Christian. You are loved so much more than just an offer. Your name is not whosoever. God calls you by name. He loves you as his own. He calls you his child. He adopts you into his family as sons of Christ. You're not just a whosoever. You're loved in a special, special way. In a way that's different and all surpassing more than the way he loves the world, beloved. He loves you in this way. First John 3, see what type of love, what kind of love the Father has given us? That we should be called the children of God. And so we are. This is the reason the world does not know him and they did not know him. This world is perishing, would love the darkness and not the light. The world who is children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But John says, beloved, we're God's children now. You're God's child. You aren't merely offered. You're pursued. You're chosen before the foundation of the world, you were foreknown, predestined, called, justified, glorified, oh, to be included in that great chain of salvation. This great mercy have received our adoption as sons. And just like Abraham sitting out in the field, worshiping the moon, and God says, Abraham, look up. And he saves him. The same way, beloved, in total grace, we're saved in that way. Dead, and God comes and says, you're alive. And he brings us from death to life. This will be, this will be our wonder for all eternity. <laughs> Don't you think for one second you're gonna find out that you get to heaven and think that you deserve something? We'll be in heaven for all of eternity and we'll think, what, what is this? What grace this is. As Abraham, 
What did I do? Nothing. So we will be throughout all eternity. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Oh, what grace. Oh, what love he has for you, church. That you're pursued in this way. Are you okay this morning? Thirdly, you must be born again. I'll move through these as quickly as I can. Do you hear the law? Do you hear the word of the Lord? Abraham had two sons, one born according to the flesh, one born according to worldly means. It led to slavery. It led to death. The law cannot produce to you life. It can only lead to your death. It will only condemn you. These women have maybe interpreted allegorically. These are two covenants, verse 24. One is Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar, verse 25. She is in slavery with her children. Hagar was a slave woman and the only type of children she could produce would be slaves who were birthed into slavery. But you, Paul says, you were born not according to the flesh. You're persecuted by those that are in the flesh, but you're born according to the spirit. You're like Isaac, are children of promise, verse 28. You're not children of the slave, but you're children of the free woman. You've been born from above. This is John, this is Jesus in John chapter three, that you must be born again. You must be born from above. To follow the wrong mother is to pursue and receive the wrong birth. Sarah and Isaac are a picture of a new birth, the second birth, being born from above. Not the birth of the flesh, but the birth of the spirit. Not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So it is with all those who have been born from above, that we are a new creature in Christ, awaiting our new Jerusalem. We are not citizens of this earth. We are citizens of heaven. Peter says that we are born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. What is the difference between Hagar, the children of Hagar and the children of Sarah? What's the difference between living under the law and living under grace? It's everything, beloved. It's the difference of heaven and hell. It's the difference of everlasting life and everlasting punishment. It's the difference of one receiving an inheritance and the other being cast out. Point number four, and we'll close on this one. Paul's reversal pen, namely casting out the false teachers. The prevailing thought and tug of the Judaizers was that in order to be in covenant community with God, you must be a Jew. You must be obedient to the law. You must receive circumcision. And in order to be included in the inheritance, you must be counted at offspring. And so the Jews and the Judaizers would say, we have Abraham as our father. We're never slaves. We've never been slaves. We're in good standing with God. We're justified before God. We are the children of Abraham according to the flesh. And so the Judaizers would likely look at Paul and they would quote Genesis 21.10 to him who's trying to bring these Gentiles in. Cast out the slave woman with her son 
and the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with my son Isaac. And they would use that against Paul and his teaching and they would take shots at him of these Gentile inclusiveness of Paul's teaching. And they would say, Paul, we're the children of Abraham. The Gentiles are cast out unless they receive circumcision. It was intended to be the one-two punch for the apostle Paul to discredit anything that he would say. We've got Paul pinned. What you gonna say now, Paul? And Paul responds in verse 22, does he not? Abraham has two sons. He has two sons. And Jesus comes to the Jews in John 8 and says, you're in slavery, you're in bondage. And the Jews say, we've never been enslaved to anyone. Jesus says, you're enslaved to sin. You call Abraham your father. If you were Abraham's offspring, you wouldn't be seeking to kill me. And Paul begins to make it all the more clear, making it very plain that you are not the children of the promise. You are mainly children of the flesh. You're not the children that is born from above, but you're the children of the flesh. And oh, Judaizers, how you love to boast in your flesh. Judaizers, Abraham had two sons, one according to the flesh, one according to the spirit. And so he would say in Romans 9 again, not all who descend from Israel belong to Israel. Not all who are children of Abraham are his offspring. You can't say that I was born right according to the flesh. It's not according to the flesh, but through the promise are counted at offspring. The people of God are not a people of the flesh, they are people of the promise. Not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Judaizers, Galatians, Abraham had two sons. One according to the flesh, the other a free woman. So long as you wanna make a good showing in the flesh, insist on your flesh as the grounds of justification and right standing, you're showing not who your father is, you're revealing who your mother is and you're only proving to be in slavery and in bondage to the law. God's people are free, they're freed in Christ. Who the son has set free are free indeed. He has brought freedom to a spiritual people from every nation, tribe and tongue. The Gentiles are included in Christ. They are Abraham's offspring. They are born into freedom and through the promise and through the Spirit. Galatians, you weren't saved according to the flesh. So why are you trying to pursue according to the flesh? You were saved according to the Spirit through the promise. Brothers, you are children of the promise. You're not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Galatians 3.9, so it is those who are of faith who are blessed with Abraham, the man of faith. The inheritance, it doesn't come from the law, but God gave it to Abraham as a promise. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, according to the promise. And Paul would look at the Judaizers and would say, and you who insist on the law as a means of your salvation, it's you who insist on living according to the flesh, it's you who are without Christ. It's you who are Hagar's children. It's you who are in slavery. And it's you, since you like to quote Genesis 21, it is you who is to be cast out. And take your false teaching with you too, false teachers. Get out of the church.
That's Paul's warning to the false teachers and his appeal to the Galatian believers. He says, I told you if anyone comes to you and they preach to you a false gospel, let him be accursed. You want me gone, Judaizers? Paul says, you need to get out of the church because you're deceiving the sheep. And how serious churches today need to take and contend with false teachers and sowers of discord within the body. Paul says as we conclude this morning, I appeal to you, watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrines that you have been taught, avoid them. For such persons do not serve Christ but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Church, we must be on guard. We must be vigilant. We must ensure that the sheep is not led astray, not sidetracked, but pressing on to maturity and the fullness of stature of Christ, that every person be mature in Christ. And for the church to remain pure and without error and be devoted fully and ultimately to Christ and Christ alone. May we share with the passion of the Apostle Paul to this end. It says, cast them out. Cut them off. May we share with the zeal of Christ who has found flipping tables, removing money changers and animal sellers from the temple in John 2. And may it be said of Prospect Baptist Church, John 2, 17, zeal for the Lord's house will consume me. May we be filled with passion to protect the integrity and teaching and living of Prospect Baptist Church in all things. Let's pray together. Well, as always, thank you for listening, and we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Prospect Sermons podcast. If you'd like more information about Prospect Baptist Church, you can visit our website at prospectbaptistchurch.org, or you can find us on Facebook by searching Prospect Baptist Church, Fayetteville, Tennessee. If you live in the Fayetteville area, we would love for you to join us in worship on Sundays at 1030 a.m. If you're not comfortable doing that at this time, we understand, but please know we are live streaming our services on Facebook Live. We do hope to see you soon and look forward to you worshiping with us. Until next time on the Prospect Sermons Podcast.